everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you to help you connect with where your passion meets the world's deep need. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Mrs. Lisa Espinelli-Chin, leadership and ministry coach and former national director, international student ministry, InterVarsity USA. In this episode, we talk about her story of coming to the U.S. as a grad student, her work with international ministry, and ways we can intentionally engage with other cultures without setting foot on a plane. She's also written several books about navigating the joys, challenges, and transitions that come with cross-cultural ministry. We'll link to all of those in the show notes, so let's listen. So I'm really grateful that you could take the time to be on the podcast today, Mrs. Chen. I'm just yes. so excited about our conversation. Yes. Um, and so I want to get to know you a little better. Um, so if you could tell me a little bit about your story. You grew up in the Philippines, mm-hmm. is that right? Yes. Yeah. So tell me, like, growing up in the Philippines, mm-hmm. what was that like? How you came to the U.S.? Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, growing up in the Philippines, uh, one of seven children. So you could just imagine what that's like. I'm seven. There's seven, and I'm number six. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, in a Filipino setting, uh, you have honorifics. You never call your brothers, older brothers and sisters, by their first name. It's always preceded by an honorific. Ate for older sister. Kuya for older brother. So because I'm number six, so everybody else ahead of me have the honorifics. Uh, <clears throat> so that's just kind of how what it is to grow up uh, with the proper respect that um, older people are given. So it's a very um, respectful, um, recognizing people's place in society. So you respect elders, you respect teachers, um, there's proper... Um, protocol, as it were, you know, to mm-hmm. those who are elder, uh, those who have more um, more status in the society. So the Philippines was occupied by Spain for about 400 years. So there is the Spanish influence. 85% are uh, mostly Catholic, Catholic even today. Uh, and then in the early 1900s, you know, Americans came, um, 1898 in particular, um, So there's the American influence on top of the Spanish influence. Mm -hmm. So somebody had described it as 400 years in a a convent and 50 years of Hollywood. (laughs) So that's kind of, you can imagine what that's like. Like one extreme to the other. Yes, yes. Yeah, so how did you then come to the U.S.? Uh, The opportunity came to do graduate studies. I had already been on staff of University Philippines, and I felt like I needed more training. So I asked around, I asked one of my mentors, uh, who was from the United States. She's Asian uh, American, she's Chinese American from Hawaii. And uh, she was a graduate of Wheaton. And she said, well, you should consider Wheaton. So that's how it started, okay. um, considering grad school. So God opened the door, provided the funds. So uh, I arrived in the fall of uh, 1970. Okay. Quite a while back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so did you come by yourself, or did some family members come with you? No, by myself. It was an international student visa. It was a student visa that I had. Mm -hmm. So 
you're not allowed to bring anybody. Okay. Yes. So you come on a student visa that's strictly for you. And sometimes it's single entry. That means you can never leave the country while you're a student. Oh, so wow. you come and then you return. Home. Oh, wow. Yes. I would imagine that's very hard. What was it like for you? Well, it's not hard when you think of the opportunity to travel is really um, rare. To go to school at that time in America is is an honor, uh, a gift that you don't want to squander. So, hey, I'll take it anytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw in my research about you that your parents' work had influenced you a lot in your life choices and your work. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, my parents uh, lived the last 25 years of their lives in the United States. So okay. they migrated. They became American citizens. Really? And um, so because we are a very close, tight family, and my parents were tailors— so they modeled to me what hard work was because you're raising up seven children on an income that's not stable. There was no salary as such that you pick up every two weeks, you know. Uh, it was dependent on customers coming in to have their pants made, whatever. We had contracts with the military, so that was steady. We had tailors that we employed. So next to the other people, we, we were well off. Yeah. But next to other people, we were not. Right. <laughs> so uh, being poor is really relative, you know, in many respects. So, you know, their influence, their, their impact is that of um, hard work and faith. They, they really believed in, in who God was to them at that time their faith grew over time. They um, understood the gospel and, and received Christ in their lives uh, when I was just a few months old. Oh, okay. Yes. So um, through the efforts of uh, Filipino missionaries who were part of a Presbyterian church. Okay. So then, am I interrupting your no, story? No, no, okay. no. no yeah. yeah. So how did you then come to know Jesus? Yeah. I think it was in that very fertile ground of my parents' faith. So it wasn't alien. It wasn't even repulsive. You know, sometimes kids experience their parents' faith negatively. Uh, but my own personal commitment to Christ came through through a friend in, in high school. Okay. And, and she just asked me if I was a Christian, and I was... Surprise! I mean, in the Philippines, everybody's a Christian. You know, why is she asking me this? And I was curious. And then she explained, have you, you know, asked God to forgive your sins and asked Jesus into your life? I mean, and I think she was just doing the best she could to right. share the gospel with right. another friend. <clears throat> but God used that, you know, and I did went home and knelt by my bed, you know, doing the right thing yeah. and asked God. But so that was the awakening, as it were. But it was softened. The ground was softened through my parents' mm -hmm. faith. Mm -hmm. And um, a church was established in our home, actually. It started through a Bible study in our home that became a church. So I grew up with that. So the, the ground was, was fertile or fertile for that. And so my own 
journey started with as far as making a commitment to Christ through that friend and growing through university in college mm-hmm. and after university uh, being on staff. Yeah. So you said, I thought you became involved with InterVarsity when you were older, but it sounds like you were already involved before you came to the U.S. Correct. Yes. I was actually involved even in high school. In the Philippines, we have high school work. Okay. So I was involved in high school and um, involved in college. And then after college, I joined staff. So it okay. was just all those years, very formative years. Yeah. So that's how to big influence on your life, oh, yes, too. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So when did you first become interested in cross-cultural ministry? Like, is that the best way to word the question? I'm not... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, um, you know, I, I think about that and say, when did I even get interested in other parts of the world? Yeah. Might be a good start because there were two books in my home, okay? Here's a poor family. My, my dad reached third grade. My mom reached seventh grade. Okay, so that's the extent of the education of my Uh parents. So our walls were not filled with books. They were filled with fabric. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes (laughs) sense. Because they were tailors. So I remember two books. One was a Bible and one was a dictionary, Webster Dictionary. It was thick. And I remember just flipping those pages And the pages that I enjoyed looking at were the colored ones, and these were flags of the world. Oh, wow. So perhaps, and I think about it, perhaps something was planted there about the world that we're not alone and there are other people from other parts of the world. And then, of course, you know, we're used to Americans coming as missionaries and... um, so that was kind of part of, of my world. But the cross-cultural component was perhaps because my degree is in foreign service. Okay. And I had to take Spanish and French. Oh, so wow. already, you know, we've got to relate with yeah. people all of the world in order to be good diplomats mm-hmm. if you're working to represent the government. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where it all started. But as far as... Anything formalized, perhaps, more when I went to grad school Okay. at Wheaton. Okay. Because my paper was on how to offend Filipinos without even trying. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's all fascinating. about cross-cultural things. Yes. Yeah. That wasn't on my question list, but I, I, want, to hear, I want to hear about that. <laughs> so what did you discover and what did you say? Yeah, I mean... Um, well, shame is, is very prominent. You know, amor proprio is your self-image. <clears throat> and so you're be care- being careful not to put them on the spot in a way that would embarrass them. Oh, I see. So um, you don't call out their mistakes publicly. You don't put them in an uncomfortable position that would put them in a place where they have no options or, you know, how to respond. And uh, gratitude is very uh, deep-seated value. Um, in my language, Tagalog, we have utang na loob, which translates debt of gratitude. So the greatest offense is one who has been helped but does not express gratitude. 
So, I mean, perhaps the American, you know, you get help and you say thank you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's gratitude. That's enough. But in my culture, uh, there's more to just thank you. It will mean uh, even your family members will remember the good deeds. So we would be grateful to the parents who helped, or to the people who helped my parents at one point. So that's carried down. My parents will tell us stories. So, yeah. yeah. So the gratitude is passed down through the generations. Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, so so the the gratitude, the respect, um, so those are some of the things that um, are deep-seated, yeah. Yeah. That's that's very interesting, which leads me to another question that I didn't send you ahead of time. Oh, so yeah, I hope that's, that's right. okay. Yeah. We talked about this. Yeah. Um, what is the best way to learn about other cultures? Because I wouldn't have known that at all. And so I think about other people I come in contact with mm-hmm. from different cultures. What is the best way to learn about their culture so that I don't unintentionally offend. Right, yeah. right. Well, nowadays, I mean, you just Google, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, during my days, you've got to either ac- access the library, interview someone who is from that place. Now you just ask Google, you know, yeah. or Siri, um, how do I do it in Japan? Or what's the best thing yeah. not to offend the Japanese? Um, I think it starts with assumptions we make. Uh, and there are three things that I would say. We either assume they are the same, and therefore, oh, yeah, I never see you as different, and therefore the assumption of sameness will always tell you you will not never make a mistake because they're like you. Okay, They're like you in some respects, but not like you in uh-huh. other respects. Uh-huh. So you, you approach it with an assumption of sameness, fellow human being, you know, the shared humanity that you have, you also approach it with an assumption that of, of difference. You know, she's another mom, but she is from Iraq. She's another mom, but she's from Kenya. So there must be something different there, although moms around the world may share the same basic things of right. values, but assumption of difference. So I will approach it wanting to learn that difference. So there is that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then the assumption of uniqueness, because I can assume that every woman in Saudi Arabia is not able to speak up and say something of their own independent thinking. Well, when I met my, my friend from, from the Middle East, okay, she was not that. She said she drove back home, okay? So mm-hmm. I have to be prepared to be surprised yeah. by the uniqueness of the person and not make assumptions. Although uh, a general landscape is good to kind of hang your thoughts, but to be willing to be curious and willing to be surprised. Yeah, and willing to change, I would say. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's the part that is the educational component mm-hmm. is when we're curious and we're learning, uh, then transformation happens. You you change your mind about certain people or yeah. certain assumptions you've made. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So I want to back up. When you came to the United States, to Wheaton, I'm sure you experienced some culture shock just coming. Is that, yes. Would that be right? Yeah. Yes. So yes. What, do you, what was that transition like for you and what do you wish you would have known? Well, there was no pre-departure training, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> they said, I'm going to be going to a cold place. My older sister had gone ahead of the family to uh, be an exchange uh, intern in nutrition at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So she went to that cold place. And now I'm going to Chicago. And we didn't have a chance to compare notes. Uh-huh. All I know is there's snow where I'm going. So preparing yourself for that is just imagining what it's like to be in a cold place. Where do I do that? In a country where you pull out your sweaters when it's 75 degrees or 80 degrees. I mean, like, you know, this is the hot tropics. So I opened the refrigerator. At that time, you have, you know, freezers that are not Uh frost-free. And I looked, and the fish that's in there was frozen. And I'm thinking, that's where I'm going to be in Chicago. (laughs) So I can't imagine myself in that place. And sure enough, you know, you go with zero temperature or below zero. So preparing means imagining what life is like uh, to come to the United States. Uh, Even if we're familiar with the American way, as it were, because of the movies, because of books we read, uh, and the American influence in the culture, it's still different being there yourself. I mean, I remember arriving in L.A. and just overwhelmed by how big how huge everything was. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the streets were so big and huge. The trash cans, by the way, were huge. I mean, what do they put in there? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) I said I would fit in one of those. (laughs) But anyway, so just uh, spatial, you know, space uh, was one, because you come from a country that is smaller but more crowded, Okay, and then you have this spacious place. Um, how people relate with one another was another um, adjustment of you cannot just assume that they'll be your friends. I mean, it, it's not, it doesn't come as naturally, and you have to make an effort to, um, I just assume because I was a guest being an international student that people would ask me questions. And as soon as I discovered that they were not as curious, I have to turn this around. So I was the one that became curious. Yeah, taking the initiative. Yes. Waiting to be hosted will not take me very far. So I hosted. I was the one that asked the questions. I was the one that took the initiative. Yeah. Is that... If I can interrupt for a minute, is that normal? Like in the Philippines, if somebody who is not Filipino came, would it go the other way? Like the hosting be more to the guest instead of the guest having to take the initiative? Uh, Well, at least, you know, cultures change. The Philippines has changed too. But at least there is an assumption, you know, that that person is from a foreign place, obviously foreign. And so put your best foot forward or uh, be, be nice. Essentially, in right. <laughs> uh, because their experience of you might be the conclusion that they will have about the whole country. So there is a sense of um, 
I'm carrying the country's reputation right. if I mistreat. But, you know, over time, people are not as conscientious about that. But at least I grew up with that. Yeah. Um, and so I carried that, that value of um, being hospitable, being curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you shared, I listened to a talk that you gave at Urbana about um, being asked on a date by a guy, and you kind of related that to learning about the cross-cultural experience and being aware of customs or different things that you didn't know. Would you share that story? I think it was probably in a smaller seminar, because I don't remember uh, sharing it uh, in the big big convention. Uh, My professor, my theology professor was the one that I worked for. So everybody got to have a job, limited to the campus, because if you have your my student visa, you cannot work outside. Right. Uh, and so he, he became like a father to me and uh, was very kind. But anyway, so when uh, my first summer on campus, this one guy asked me what I was going to do that weekend. And you know, that question is it's a question, right? What are they going to do this weekend? So I responded with my schedule, and I had things to do. I said, uh, I thought I said, I'll do laundry and do some reading. And oh, okay. And then Monday came and asked, he asked me again how my weekend was. Then I just reported that my errands, my chores were done. And I think Thursday rolled in, and he asked, What are you going to do this weekend? And I said, Oh, I'm going to go visit my friend in Chicago and maybe do a paper. So he didn't say anything. Oh, okay. So for me, it was a question seeking information, right? Right. He was just really curious about your weekend. Yes, and that's kind of nice, you know, like Monday he'd ask how it was. said, oh, great, I had a a wonderful time with my friends. But then, and like I say, you know, when crossing cultures, watch for repetitions. Okay, this is a repeated pattern. What am I missing here? Number two, look for a mentor. Who can explain? Am I, am I, what is going on? So I went to my professor and he said, well, what's going on here, Dr. Horn? Uh, this guy asked me this question. So I repeated the scenario. And he looked at me and he said, Lisa, Lisa, like, did I do something wrong? What did I do wrong? You didn't know? I said, what? He was asking you for a date. I said, what? He was? I thought Americans were direct. <laughs> Why didn't he ask me directly? And my professor said, well, not in this case. You know. Oh, so he was asking me for a date, but he was not being direct about it. So how do I respond? See, I already have my mentor, right? right. I was observant of repetition. So you asked for a recommendation. What's the culturally appropriate way to respond? Right. And he said, well... When he asks you again, say, what you're doing this week, and nothing in particular, what do you have in mind? Oh, that sounded like a good answer. So I repeated that. Uh Nothing in particular, what do you have in mind? So I waited for Friday to come, but he never did. He never asked. He never asked again. No. <laughs> After learning my life. <laughs> and when I tell that story, you could hear my husband in the back saying, Praise God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Things could have turned out differently. Yeah. But but that's just how it is. You you don't know. 
what the person is asking, and you you learn by your mistakes, and uh, you you figure your way around, and uh, oh, so they're not direct. My assumption was tested, and I was wrong. And how do I learn? And you know, I gotta be resilient. I mean, crossing cultures, you cannot always. Um, respond like I'm a failure. You know, you just have to bounce back and say, "Okay, let's try and do the breathe, right?" <laughs> right. And say, "Okay, let's do this again." So that was that was kind of um, a good way to learn by our mistakes mm-hmm. because you will learn a lot crossing cultures, and sometimes it's through our mistakes, and sometimes it's through other people's mistakes. Right. Right. And sometimes that can involve some hurt, I would imagine, too, yes. even though you're trying to be resilient. How right. have you seen God redeem your story as you've made mistakes, bounced back, had mistakes, um, other people made mistakes against you? Yes. I mean, you collect those narratives. Okay, so now I have a story, right? Right. If if it turned out differently, it would still be a story. I mean, right. you... You accumulate over time stories that will add to either the richness of your experience or God's grace Hmm. in your life, okay? Um, When you make mistakes, how willing are you to quickly forgive? Well, remember, there's the shame factor, right? Right, right. So So it might not be that easy. Yes, yes. You might just feel like, oh, no, I made a blunder. I will never be seen again. You've got to recover and say, well, if it's not a major mistake, it was a cross-cultural mistake, you know, uh, and you can recover from that and, uh, and learn from it and add it to your repertoire of skills, of things that I say, okay, I'll make sure I don't repeat that. Or if people ask advice, don't make assumptions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know how you and your husband met. Oh, okay. Like I told you, are you ready for a few hours? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I was single, obviously, and attending a conference um, uh, representing InterVarsity USA. I really didn't want to go to that conference because I had a heavy summer. I was I directed a conference, and I asked my boss to be excused, but he said, no, I want you there. So being Asian and obedient to my supervisor, I, I went, not realizing that it would change my life, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so sometimes it's good to be Asian and submissive to your supervisor. <laughs> um, so anyway, I... Uh, and he was there. He was one of the hosts of the conference. And he said he spotted me at the registration line. And I told him, I didn't even see you. <laughs> and he said, you were wearing batik. And so it stood out. But anyway, he never said anything to me until the end of the conference, where he asked me, together with other single people, if they wanted to look around Colorado Springs, Colorado. Okay. I said, sure, you know, I'd like to. And after that kind of field trip with those who are not flying that day, he asked me if I want, wanted to go for a ride. And I said, oh, okay, sure, you know. So we went for a ride. But already, you know, you just don't say yes to someone you were bored with or 
had negative vibes, you know. Right. He already was, you know, he was not uh, impulsive. He was gentle and a gentleman, you know. I said, sure. So we went for a ride. But when we came back to my, my, my dorm in Colorado Springs, he asked if I would go on the backside of this dorm because there's a beautiful view of the moon. I oh, said, yeah. Wow. I like to see the moon, you know. <laughs> so I went, and at that point, he just said, oh, yeah, he said, is it okay if we pray? I said, well, nothing's wrong with praying, right? You know, so I said, yes, let's pray. And he essentially asked God, God, if you are leading us together. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, what is this man saying? Is he indirectly asking me? What, what is going on? Indirectly but, asking through prayer? Yeah, exactly, you know. So I said, well, um, so I started laughing because I was so nervous. <laughs> and um, that was it. At the end of the prayer, I asked him, are you always this bold with women? <laughs> I mean, yeah, nothing like putting you on the spot with the I Holy know, Spirit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, you can harness all your spiritual resources, you know, with me there. What can I do, you know? Anyway, he said, no, I'm not this bold. Only when the Spirit leads. Oh, wow, okay. But, and so at the end of the conference, we ended up uh, committing to communicate, to see where this relationship goes. So I flew back. Washington, D.C. He stayed in Colorado Springs. And pretty much, you know, we met in May, and by December we were married. Oh, wow. Yes, that fast. I mean, if he had his way, we would have been married, you know, like in July or August. <laughs> I mean, he had no clue how so, long it takes. Yeah, he was <laughs> for sure. Yes, he was, he was for sure. I mean, and of course, I, you know, it's the first time I met him. But, of course, I found out he knew my sister, and he knew other people I knew. Okay. So when I came back to my sister's home where I was staying and living with her, my sister asked me if I had gone out. I mean, if, if um, how the time was. So I said it was great. Then I said, I met Leighton. Oh, you met Leighton. And the next question she asked was, did you go out with him? I mean... <laughs> Where will she ever get that clue? <laughs> but, of course, he was the most eligible bachelor, apparently, you know, that my sister knew. So I blushed, and I said, well, actually, I did. I hope this is for good. You know, I just didn't know. But uh -huh. the short of it is we got married in December, and the Lord blessed us with three kids. Oh, lovely. Yes, daughter, son and daughter, and uh, they're all adult kids, married with... Now I have five grandkids. Oh, that's wonderful. That's an exciting time of life. Yes, it is. And, and the thing too, Heidi, is sometimes when you feel like God has forgotten you in this area of life, to keep being faithful, being faithful as a single person, yes. not always thinking that uh, marriage is, is something that you are working for or that's your aim in life. Your aim is to glorify God yes. as a single person or as a married person. And I had to learn that, to be faithful in whatever God has called me, in every you know state, yes. to be content. Yes. Even if there are times where God, I mean, you know, come on, I'm getting older. <laughs> you know, I'm hanging out with college students, you know. Um, but 
it, it really just reinforced for me how God, how God provides, how God hears our prayer. And even before I met him, actually, at that same conference, I had gone into the chapel and asked God to recommit my life to God uh-huh. because it was a conference for international students, reaching international students. And I actually said, Lord, I offer to you my singleness. You take me anywhere you want. Hmm. And I go out of that chapel, and who would be standing at the door? Layton. Yes, Layton <laughs> was there like, God, did you just hear me say something <laughs> inside? And what? You know, so I was a little confused, but, but God, in, in his own good, kind way, was saying, here is how I would like you to consider a provision. Yes. You know, that you will thank you for offering your life as single. And I think you have to come to that place. Yes, I agree. Don't you think? I, I mean, yes, come I to that place that you're willing to be single or married. Yeah, either way. It yes. 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 Because that, that sets a, a very calm and settled tone rather than being, you know, uh, restless and, and complaining and yes. comparing Comparing is a dangerous game. Yes. 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 So anyway, so that's, that. thank you for asking. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing. So why cross-cultural ministry? Because you've ministered, I think, on, if I have this right, every continent except Antarctica. (laughs) Well, you know, when you travel all over the place, it's just because my work takes me there, you know, whether I'm giving a lecture uh, somewhere on international students and how they make the transition or what is included in discipling the international students who come to our countries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Afghanistan, I came there as part of a youth with a mission um, before I went back to the Philippines. So that too was a different experience altogether. But when you're able to travel, and this is what I really recommend is at this time and age, when you can travel anywhere, take it. Yes. I mean, if there's a study abroad avail- available on campus, take it. But even then, don't lo- look too far. Look here also, because the world has shrunk. Yes. International people are in our backyard, on our campuses. So open your eyes to them rather than just looking at the exotic places and you never see who's ahead in front of you. Does that make sense? Yes, no, that makes a lot of sense. So how can we, um, what are some specific steps that we can kind of put into our minds to practice engaging in cross-cultural ministry or just cross-cultural interactions, whether it's, like you said, whether it's in another country or our next-door neighbor? Yes. Um, You know, my chapel talk this morning, I talked about uh, the gift of hospitality, mm-hmm. that hospitality at its best, based on my reading of Genesis 18 with Abraham hosting the three visitors and to him that they were the messengers of Sarah being pregnant, is that we need to be, we need to open our eyes to our surroundings. Mm. Yes. It is colorful. It's that, you know, um, be, being aware of where international people are, being intentional. Part of it is intentional displacement. 
where you put yourself in the most uncomfortable place, like worship in an African-American church mm-hmm. or, well, Chinese restaurant doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no. Eating at a Chinese restaurant is not intentional displacement. But you know what I mean is, is putting yourself in their place. Yes. Okay? So opening your eyes, uh, deliberate displacement, um, curiosity, what is life like for them? Mm. A curiosity that doesn't make them like museum pieces, but right. curiosity because they're fellow human being. Right. You know, when my friend, like I said, from from Iraq came with her kids, I just, you know, wanted to know more. What is it like, you know? And she had twins, and I, I put the girl on my lap and taught her English, you know. Her first English words were with me and, you know, Later on, she did her PhD in English literature in England. Wow, I mean, you had a yeah. <laughs> great influence on her life. You never know who you will put on your lap. But right. it started, Heidi, with a willingness to make room for other people. Yeah, I think sometimes in our own way, desire to survive or desire to keep our lives simple, we close in, just me and my friends. Yes. You know, it's a very selfish way of approaching life. but And there are risks, and it's messy at times. But once we make room for others, it's the richest experience you will ever have. Wow. Truly, I mean, and right here in Kentucky, right here, yeah. you know, there are opportunities. Yeah, how can, because I, I'll just confess right yeah. now, I have unintentionally closed my life you know, to keep it simple, to keep it less yeah. busy, you know, and you can't do everything. Right, right. But I'm realizing I've made it much smaller yes. than it needs to be. Yes. So what are some ways that somebody else like me, yes, or me, because <laughs> I need to do this too, could yes. engage right here in Kentucky? Yes, um, I understand there's an international friendship program in Lexington, and some Asbury students go there. And it's um, helping with some of the Syrian refugees. You know, we have mm-hmm. a high rate, a uh, good number in, 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 in the state. But simple steps like that mm-hmm. where you meet a need, a felt need, a very important need. If they can communicate in English, that's a real yeah. service. And, and be open to how God will transform you. Yeah. Because sometimes... You know, we we live, we define life within our own terms, make it as simple and as limited. Mm-hmm. And when you choose it that way, then it I feel like it's being poor by choice. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. So if you, you begin to say, God, help me to make room because our heart is elastic, it can expand. And once the, our heart is really... Um, expanded by God's love for us, there's space for others. I think a lot of times I've held back because I've been afraid to reach out, because I've been afraid of making a mistake. Yes, yes, Because I know how my, in quotes, my world works. Yes, yes. And so I'm not as prone to, I mean, I make enough mistakes every day, but I'm not as prone to making a big blunder or offending people. Yes, yes. And that's, that's a common uh, fear, Heidi. Um, but what I say is, once you overcome that, just take a risk. 
because uh, the, the risk is really lower than the gain because you're afraid of making mistakes. But uh, the people who are still making it to this life in this country have already made a lot of mistakes, more than you have. <laughs> so by you crossing the, that line and saying, I'm here, I want to learn, uh-huh. approaching us as a learner, okay? Yeah. And for me, if people make mistakes, I have a lot of grace because, well, what do you expect? I mean, right. this American kid has never left home. Of course, they don't understand a lot of things, right? right? And if if they make blunders and, and they are willing to admit and ask for forgiveness, of course, as a foreigner, I would. You know, I will not be harsh and, you know, that's not how I would approach it. Uh-huh. So what I'm saying, Heidi, is... You know, ask God if this is something that God is kind of staring in your heart. Uh, put some legs to it. Volunteer, okay? Uh-huh. And yeah, maybe maybe just being an English conversation. That's the lowest level. You know, the international, at least in my world, international students are really the low-hanging fruit of mission. Yeah. They will drop on your lap, literally. <laughs> that fruit is overripe, you know, but the opportunity is there. The lowest shelf you can reach. Yeah. You're just speaking English with them. Yeah. And you're enhancing their ability to communicate in this culture. Uh-huh. So that would be the initial steps. Look for opportunities that are uh, at comfortable at your level, you know, and then increasingly, you know, add more as your heart expands. Yeah. Do you think going on mission trips is a good thing to, you know, engage cross-culturally? Oh, definitely. It depends on the kind of mission okay. trip. Okay, yeah. Talk okay. to me about that. Yeah. Because I've heard mixed things about yes, mission yes, trips, Yes. Um, which is why I was asking, you know, like some places you go, I've heard that um, they will, you know, mess something up so that the <laughs> Americans have something to do when yeah. they when they get there. So. <laughs> yes, it has to be the right short-term mission trip. My, my good friend who is a professor of anthropology, um, um, oh gosh, uh, Miriam Aidney, says that sometimes those short-term missions are like Mac missions, McDonald's and oh, Mac yes. missions, you know, it's just transporting an American product. Right. And it, it, it's not as effective. It, it's good for just, you know, good image. Right. It makes us feel, feel good. good. Or yes. the people going. Yes. Yeah. We don't do short-term missions to make us feel good. Right. Okay, but sometimes that's how we do it because we feel guilty. Uh, Guilty because we're wealthy, guilty because we haven't done anything. But a good short-term mission should be, really to me, is mission education. It does more to the people going than to the people they're sent to. Okay. So I would have very low expectation in terms of first-timers. This is an opportunity to open your eyes to what God is doing, to test your assumptions, to try out something you've never done before, to take risks. And to really, it's it's your laboratory where you can okay. learn things. Okay? Yeah. Like I said, you don't have to go there. They are here, right? right, right. But if there's an opportunity to do that and be intentionally displaced, if you're the only white person sticking out of the crowd, good. Good for you. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know what that feels. How do I cope with this? So, so it's good when it's done well, when the attitude is that of a learner and of a guest. 
I think just because we have a visa or no visa needed, we arrive as if we own the place. Right. No, we don't. We arrive as guests. Guests have to ask permission. Guests are limited. Guests don't exercise power on others. That is not appropriate. Guests bring gifts, yes, in many cultures, yes. Yes, they do. Yes. Yeah, so, so approaching it that way and having a good debrief and reentry should also be there. Okay. Yeah, talk to me about that. Yes. Um, standard of excellence of short-term missions. They have put a list of seven points, I believe, okay. of the standard of excellence. And that includes a good reentry. Okay. So what happens is everybody's in is focused or interested in, oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Slovenia. I'm going to this other places. So everything is focused on the pre-departure, prep, raising money, prayer. Everything is on the pre-departure. And of course, you plan the on-site. But the return, the post or post-arrival or arrival is not given as much thought. Right. And I often say it's the hidden side of orientation. Right. And I'm, I'm the advocate to say we need more. And I'm actually speaking on that tonight okay. at the university um, on what we need to remember about reentry because it's not welcome back. It's not welcome home. Uh huh. It's more welcome back. Yeah. We, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that because our listeners won't get to hear your talk. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. So I come. thought my, they might want to come. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll air until too yes, late. Yes, so, yes, yeah. Tell I know, me a little I bit know. about that. Yeah. Well, it's more in terms of how much you've changed while away from home. Okay. How do you process what you have seen, especially if the culture is so uh, different from the culture back home here? Like you went to Haiti. Wow, that is staggeringly different. Right. Okay. And the kinds of people you worked with. So you come back, that those, you know, maybe even two weeks or three weeks really changes your world, rocks your world. Right. You know, puts it upside down because, wow, how can people live this way might be your question. Or where does God exist in this place? You know? Right. And then you meet others in that same culture who know Jesus and exhibit such joy. How can that be, you know? I come from the affluent country and I don't see people with joy right exactly right I went to Colombia South America last year and went to a church service down there and they like the part of Colombia I was in I mean I think all of Colombia it's much poorer than anywhere in America and but I've never seen happier people. And so I was really disappointed when I came back to America yes, yes. because my church service didn't look anything like that. We all look so sad to be there sometimes. I'm like, we should be so happy. Yes, yes. So, so it makes you wonder, and that's good, because once you leave home, you come up with a new set of questions. Yes. You assume certain things, and then leaving home and going on this short-term mission trip will really challenge your assumptions and give you a whole new set of questions, but a whole new set of eyes to see the world. Then you come home with a new advocacy. 
you, you become the informal defender when people come up with just very swift, sweeping conclusion. Oh, those people from that country are like this. But you say, but that was not my experience. I was there, you know. Even if it was two weeks, I met the most wonderful people. So you put another spin to what people may have thought and were generalized right. about negative conclusions uh-huh. about other people. So, yeah, so those things need to be processed. And there is a, a grief component as well, depending on what the experience was like. You, you come home and you, want, you, you miss the people, you miss the experience, and you want to repeat some of those experiences yes. back here, and you can't. Right. Because it's so different. So there is that sense of loss, and, and you go through grief. Some people go through big, heavy depression as well uh, on the reentry side. So it, it's very important that you prepare people for reentry and help them to have the needed skill to understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of reverse culture shock yes. to come back here yes. from most of the places that you right. visit. Yeah. And the reverse culture shock, because people don't prepare for it, is harder. Yes. Because, of course, I'll have culture shock going to Columbia, but I'm just going back to Wilmore. Right, right. and I know what it's yeah. like. Yeah, we think, we think it's the same, but we've changed, yes. even for those two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's why for those short-termers, God gives you the opportunity to continue that enlarged, elastic heart, yes. you know, by looking for opportunities to serve with people who are different from you, mm-hmm. whether through, you know, um, services like the International Friendship mm-hmm. or international students, invite them to your home. That is so low shelf, <laughs> so easy. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, and learn from them. They're just, you know, it's, it's home away from home. Yeah, 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 that's so good. Yes. So, good. You so make you're going like, to volunteer now, Heidi? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll see. I yeah, want to I do something different yes, and make my yeah, life yeah, something yes, different. Because yes, I want yes. my life to matter, and I don't yes. think it matters in the way that I want it to matter right, right now. Right, yes. So it doesn't matter for other people. Yes, yeah. yes. But I yeah. appreciate your attitude about it. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Well, thank yes. you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So how would you describe this season of your life in ministry? So I've 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 done a lot, right? Yeah, you I have. Start, <laughs> I started, and I don't think we even talked about the half of oh, what no, you've done. No, no, no. What I'm thinking is, you know, like, wow, God, you are just so good to take me, you know, where I've been because none of this would have been my design. You know, I may have desired certain things, but nothing like what God has given right. me. So I'm really, really grateful. I started staff work at 19, and, you know, I had this life to live that I could serve and uh, learn, live and serve in another culture. You know, mm-hmm. I have to learn how to do it here right. in the U.S. and also hold my first culture together. So it's not giving up everything, but how to, I feel like I live in three cultures, my Filipino culture, my American culture, and kingdom culture. Right. So you traverse those three places, and kingdom culture trumps both. Right. 
And, and so it's wonderful to be able to do that, to, to be an advocate to others from other cultures, to explain certain things, mm-hmm. to be, you know, I trained to be, to be working in our equivalent of the State Department. My undergrad was in Foreign Service. Okay. Um, so technically, I could have been an ambassador, but in reality, I'm an ambassador, right? Right. Ambassador for Christ, yes. Uh, so the season of life is that season where I can, uh, it's a convergence of the things that I've learned and the, the people I enjoy coming together. So I mentor young leaders from university. Okay. It's wonderful. And I, I have others that I mentor outside of university. But to be in their lives in this season of their leadership development. Mm-hmm. I wish I had mentors, you know, when I was their age. But to walk with them and to just kind of glean from my own experience what it's like to lead as a woman, to lead as a woman of color or minority woman, uh, to lead with confidence, not with arrogance or with a chip on my shoulder. What does it mean to lead with a servant's heart? I mean, all those things that, you know, I get to access in this season of life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, what is it like to lead as a woman and a minority? What has been your experience? Well... It depends if you are leading in a place or a company or an organization that is mostly white and mostly male. That's different. And that's, it's uphill, right? Uh, <clears throat> and in a university, at least my experience, is that it's a very empowering place because we believe in uh, God giving gifts to people mm-hmm. and that you have your unique gift. Right. And you're still with university. Yes, okay. yeah, as a mentor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was director for International Student Ministry for 14 years. So I finished that and passed that on, but now I'm a mentor the last five years. So um, the challenges of addressing whether structure or attitude in a way that is not I don't want to be the angry woman all the time because you lose your audience when you're just angry. Right. Yes. I think for me, it's speaking the truth with confidence, with a voice that is prophetic, and a voice that is your voice. You're not mimicking, copying someone else. So it's me. This is my experience. And how do we help people change their minds and empowering women to be able to manage up, to um, help supervisors with what it takes to understand women, especially women with young kids, right? and what work looks like for them because we have those in university working part-time. So you, um, you advocate. So for me, I, I was in a good place. Um, but there, there are times where I'm also challenged, you know, like going to other places where women are not as um, elevated in respect or uh, acceptance. Right, right. Yes, so yeah. so it's, it's a great, great season of life. And I get to enjoy my grandchildren, yeah, too. Yeah, it sounds like a great yeah. season. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. So I want to talk about, you've written several books 
Really. And so I want to talk about that briefly. So I have that you've written Think Home, a Reentry Guide for Christian International mm-hmm. Students, Back Home Daily Reflections on Reentry, Reentry Guide for Short Term Mission Leaders, Coming to America slash Returning to Your mm-hmm. Home Country, mm-hmm. and Friendships with International Students Crossing Cultures Here and Now. Yes. So do we do you want to talk about each of them or Well they, they all have different histories. Think okay. Home came about because I was at a conference with uh, with staff who are working with international students, not in a varsity, this was International Students Incorporated. And I, I just happened to ask them what they did to help international students on their re-entry, going home on their return. And this was decades back. Right, okay? right. So things have changed since. I just want to make sure, you know, that's clear. And they, uh, they said, well, Lisa, we give them a party. And I said, that's great. That's a good start. What else? They thought some more and said, oh, yeah, we give them a gift. I said, good, you know, a lot of the world, you know, value the gift gift giving. So I kept pushing and said, what else? They said, oh, yeah, and we pray for them. I said, great. I mean, you know, always pray for your students returning home. And then I kept pushing, what else? And they kind of hit the wall and say, what else is there? You know, that's it. So the meeting ended, but I went back with my newborn, started writing on a napkin tissue, you know, because it was lunchtime, all uh-huh. the things that I thought were important because I returned home after right. my education. And you had that experience. Yes. I said, well, this would help students, you know. So I, so that's the background of Think Home. Okay. Think Home is over 300 questions of generic nature of what it is to face change what it is to, what are uh, examples in scripture of those who have returned home and um, what changes you have undergone right. and all those. So it's, it's a workbook that is generic, not just specific to those returning to a specific country. Right. So, so that's the background. Yeah. Yes. And it's interesting, the early beginnings of it, other missionaries found the, the, the book helpful for, all, for themselves returning to the U.S. Okay, yeah. They just took out other chapters, obviously. So I felt like, yeah, that's a that's a good tool, you know, and we've revised it since and you know, we put a lot of new materials also. So that's one. And then the other thing is back home, which I wrote in twenty fourteen. Uh, I've always wanted to be on the other side of the entry. I prepared him from here going home. Right. I said, Oh, I wish I could be there. Uh-huh. To yeah. receive them, what would be something that would help them okay, in their transition? Yeah. So back home is that uh, 14-day devotional, 30-day devotional, just to kind of help them process. Each day there's a short scripture, question, then reflection. Yeah. So they can write. Yeah, because it's so easy to return yes. and then just get try to get back into your rhythm without thinking yes. about yes. anything. Yeah, exactly. And it will address issues of, you know, even... How do I make it in this new culture? Because like you said, why is my culture like this? Why couldn't it be a little bit of the joy from Colombia could right? infect my church? <laughs> yeah, so that that part. Uh, and uh, I wrote it with short-term mission people in mind, study abroad mm-hmm. people as well. So that that part. And, and then the coming to America on U.S. campuses, uh, I wrote that without any Christian reference. By, in, by design, mm-hmm. so that it can be, you know, easily um, distributed for new international students coming in. 
And the flip side of it is returning to your home country. And uh, I've tested that with my PhD students. As far as English, I wanted it to be as, as simple as, as possible so that they can just grab it. So ESL, you know, English second right. language or English right. as a foreign language could, could learn using it improve their English as well. So that, and then uh, Crossing Cultures, Friendship with International Students. I wrote that as a gift for Urbana Missions Conference. So the first edition was about 20,000 of that booklet. Whoa. Yes, to give, to put in their bags, you know, Mission Conference, Uh Urbana, that we had a lot of them in 2003, I think is when it was given out. So that's basically just giving the rationale the raison d'etre for why we reach international students. And it is cross-cultural, you know, uh, communication and friendships here and now. So I want to emphasize the here and now. Yes. You don't have to wait until you get there or until you raise your money and funds and got your shots and your passport. They are here. It's right here. Yes. Yes. And they're waiting. Yes. 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 Yeah, and then the re-entry, uh, I've done a number of re-entry seminars for short-term mission. So the re-entry guide for short-term re-entry for leaders is the result of that. And those were just my notes that I wanted to pull together. So maybe one of these days I'll sharpen that and make it into a, another format. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just so grateful for our time together today. Um, I can't say anything but thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so very much. I've I've learned so much, and I really appreciate your time to just share with me and just share with the people who are going to listen to the podcast. Yes. So our podcast is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, and so because of that, our, we have a question that we ask all of our guests. So what is one practice that can be spiritual or otherwise that is helping you thrive in your life right now? That's a good question. One practice that helps me thrive. Space. Hmm. Creating space in my schedule for things that are life-giving. Because life can be so fast and so packed that I need to create space. Even today, I had to create space to rest. Yes. Okay? or uh, create space to create something. I love to decorate, I love to do art. So when I am doing something artistic, that is life-giving. So part of it is is knowing my limits, because if I'm going on, on, on fumes, right. Right, then I'm not being obedient nor productive. And I have to keep telling myself that. Sometimes it's just sitting down, being quiet. Because especially in a culture where we are constantly doing things simultaneously, um, I think just stopping, you know, just stopping and not touching my phone. It can be you so know? hard, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it, it's a practice that you say, okay, now is the time to stop. And mm-hmm being deliberate about that, okay? So, and and learning to say no, learning to build into that schedule space. So I would say create space. Yeah. And, and, And usually it's in those spaces 
that God speaks to me. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It, I have uh, my deck is my happy place. I have a sign that says happy place, and I go there, and it's just it's just a welcoming place. I just sit there. Part of me saying, "Come on, more emails." <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> but no, it's 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 a welcoming. It's, I want to experience God's hospitality to me. So when I create that space, it becomes God's space, and God is being hospitable to me. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. And and then God, then I am able to thrive, because I'm I'm getting my my strength from Him. Yes. 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 I love that. Yes. So needed. So thank you again. Welcome. I so enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Lisa Chin. Grateful for her leadership and her ministry. I know she's challenged me to intentionally ask questions and make friends with people who aren't like me. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, too, and let us know how this conversation helped you. New podcast episodes release every other week, and you won't want to miss out. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. So have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.